0: I invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 12. As you're turning there, I want to thank you for your prayers for Teresa and I this week. It's been a tough week. It really has. Uh, Tuesday, we took Katie and David and the three grandchildren, really three and a half, Katie's expecting, in uh, December. We found out it's a boy. So uh, they're going to name him Judah. But you know, as our grandson, John David. He's a big Clemson fan. He's going to call him Dabo. So... Um, <laughs> So pray for du- Judah Dabo as he was uh, born in December. But we took them to the airport Tuesday and there was a mechanical problem. They couldn't leave till late that night. They missed their flight in Dallas. They were a day late getting to London. KJ and Lynn stayed and met them there instead of Wednesday, met them Thursday. But the long story short, they landed in Malawi on Friday uh, we've Skyped with them a couple times, and we've taught Kate, uh, Claire and Karis how to do a Skype hug. So we've had several of those, and we are better. We're not there yet, but we're better. God's grace certainly is sustaining, and your prayers are very much appreciated. So last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 11. David Kaziah preached for us from Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and we saw how the people... Came together and tried to make a great name for themselves, and uh, David did a great job of bringing that. I don't know about you, but I'd never heard a sermon preached on Genesis eleven. It was wonderful. Uh, by the way, by the way, you gave over fourteen hundred dollars for the Gideons, as Ernest T. Ba- or no, as Briscoe Darling says, you can afford to be mighty proud of yourself. Over fourteen hundred dollars for scripture. Yeah. To the Gideons, so the word can be spread. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But let's look at Genesis chapter twelve, verse one. Now the the Lord said to Abram, "Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing." And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Father, thank you for this precious encounter that we see in scripture, this powerful command to this one man, Abraham. And Father, we thank you that today we can stand in this place to worship you to be called your children because of these events that we will study this morning. You are a faithful God. You are a mighty God. And so, God, we pray this morning that if there are those here today who are still wandering, wandering in their lives, looking for purpose, looking for meaning, looking for peace, above all, they're looking for a relationship with an eternal God, may today be the day that through the gospel of Christ, they will see that they are loved more than they could ever be imagined they could ever imagine. Help them to see that, God, that you are faithful to be with your people, to bless your people, and Lord, to bring people to yourself through the gospel. Lord, speak to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, as we said in Genesis eleven, we saw the futility of, of man trying to come together, to unite together, to make a name great for himself. Now we see in Genesis chapter 12 that God is beginning to, as he has scattered people, this is the beginning of the redemption process and God is beginning to bring a people together to make his name great. What a difference. Instead of man making their name great, God's going to make his name great. Last week, God scattered all the people, all the languages. It's no coincidence that on Acts chapter 2, when the church was born, there were many languages being spoken. The gospel was proclaimed in their own language. And So this has been a plan of God to bring all of this together for centuries. Roughly 4,000 years, we see God's plan coming together. The problem at Babel, is we saw last week, that in defiance to God, they desired to make themselves great. You know, that's one of our problems today, isn't it? That we are consumed with ourselves. We can be our own worst enemy. One of my favorite stories is of Grant Taft. It's a true story. My KJ used to say, Dad, you preaching or telling the truth? It's a true story. Grant Taft was uh, scouting out in West Texas. And it was a rainy night at a football game, and he was watching this quarterback. And the quarterback took the ball, was going to run pass option, and he slipped down on the wet ground. And that happens all the time. Nothing significant about that. But what Grant Taft caught his attention, he tells the story. He said, there's Johnny, he takes the ball from Billy. The PA announcer is giving a play-by-play. He says, there's Johnny, he takes the ball from Billy. Oh, Johnny's going to run, he's going to pass. Oh, he's down. A victim of self tackleization <laughs> You know, sometimes when we worship ourself, and ourself is the center of our universe, then we can become our own worst enemy. self tackleization But it's amazing how prominent this philosophy of selfism today. A guy named Robert Baylor wrote a book and he interviewed people. How do you handle the difficulties of life? In his book, Habits of the Heart, he interviewed one young nurse named Sheila. She described her personal philosophy. Sheila described her personal philosophy as Sheilaism. So I just try to love myself. Melody Beatty wrote a book entitled Codependent No More. Her philosophy is summed up by the dedication of her book. She says in her dedication, you know, in the front of the book, I dedicate this book to me. (laughs) I like that one. But one guy, a self-help guru says that every person, you just see some guy sitting in the corner of the room, breathing deeply, palms up. Every person, every day should say, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. You know, there's nothing wrong with seeing yourself of being great value. The scripture tells us that, Psalm 8. You know, the psalmist has the question, what is man that you would even be mindful of him? But the problem is, like the church or the people at Babel, we want to make a name great for ourselves. And you know what? This has even kind of fallen over or flowed over into our churches, hasn't it? Everything's about us it's too hot, it's too cold, I didn't like this, I didn't like that, it's too loud, it wasn't loud enough, I don't like this, you know, everything's about us. So many people leave here, this, you know, the church is all across America, not just Albert, we got great folks here, you never do this, but in other churches they do that. They think about me, and they come to church for me, you know, they come to get a good feeling, they come to feel better about themselves. And they think that's what God, God is so consumed and so concerned about me and that it's all about me. The world is a, revolves around me. And if I'm not happy, I'll go somewhere else. And that's kind of the, even the mentality in the church today. But let me tell you, as we have seen our passage this morning, that God calls us to be his children and he calls us for a purpose. Okay. And that purpose is not to sit, soak, and sour. Okay. That purpose is to serve. And the purpose is not so that we can be happy. God's desire for us is not to make us happy. His desire and plan is to make us holy, to be like His Son. I love my preacher friend who says, people call all the time, what time does the service start? He said, right after the worship. You know, God calls us to serve. It's not about us. And we see that in the life of Abraham. God calls us into a relationship with Him for a great, great purpose. Now, every one of us has a part to play in God's purpose in making his name great. In Babel, they want to make a name great for themselves. God calls his people to himself to make his name great. So let's look at Abram's call. And by the way, I'm going to call him Abraham, but his name at this point is Abram. But it comes, Abram, it's funny, A-B, Ab means father, Ram means exalted father, but Abraham means exalted father of many nations. So Abram became Abraham. Let's look, first of all, at the nature of his calling. Now We begin in chapter 12, verse 1, but let me just give you a brief synopsis of 27 through 32. We we skip from 10 to to 31. If you want to talk about a pack shed and all these other uh, descendants, we can do that some other time. But in verse 27, we see that Abram is living with his father Terah in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans which is modern-day Iran, Iraq. And the, thing I, the way I remember 27 through 32, Abram's father was, was Terah. His wife was Sarah. Everybody remember that, okay? That's what we learn out of 27 through 32. His father was Terah. His wife was Sarah. And so they begin to leave Ur of Chaldeans, and they come as far as Haran. That's interesting, too. They lived in a place called Haran. uh, Abraham had a brother named Haran, or Haran. We'll say Haran for the land and Haran for the brother, okay? So they left Ur, and they came as far as um, Haran, Haran. Anyway, they settled there. And this is where God speaks to Abraham in chapter 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country. Now, let's talk a little bit about who Abram was. We don't know a lot about Abram, but we know that he grew up in Ur, okay? Now, Joshua chapter 24, Joshua tells us from ancient times, 24 two. from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river beyond the river. Okay, that would be east of the Jordan River. They lived in Babylon, which we'd call Iran, Iraq. He says, you lived with your fathers beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. And listen to this. And they served other gods. Now, it doesn't take much study to look and see that in this region of the country, they served a lot of gods. But in, in Ur, the primary god that they served was the god of the moon or the moon god. The moon God. The psalmist said the sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The people believed that the moon had great powers over people. And so a lot of people would turn and worship the moon. As a matter of fact, we get our term lunatic. You ever heard that? (laughs) Hopefully not directed towards you, but lunatic means moon struck. Okay? So they had, here's Abram growing up in Ur in this foreign land. And they served other gods. Church, they were moon worshipers. They were worshiping pagan gods. And so they leave Ur and they go as far as Haran. And here God calls Abram. And I want you to understand that. Because there was nothing about Abram that would make God think, I got to have this guy on my team. This guy is going to become the father of Judaism. Judaism. This guy's going to become the father of Christians. You know, there are three major religions that look to Abram the Jews, the Christians, and even the Muslims. They look to Ishmael, Abraham's son, as the, the beginning of their religion. So, Abraham is a father of many faiths. But, uh, Kobe read from Luke chapter 1, is, uh, we see there the fulfillment of all the promises. From God in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham, as we will see in just a minute. But Abraham, this moon-worshipping pagan. You know, this moon, don't you like to call people names? We're going to do that. Abram, you're a moon-worshipping pagan. But you become the father of our faith. Church, only God could do something like that. I bet if we took a few minutes here today and began to talk to some of you, you could say, Brother Keith, I was a pagan. I was a drunk. You know, I was a drug dealer. I was a drug taker. I was a fornicator. I was a liar. But look what God has done for me. This is the God we're talking about this morning. So Abram's story begins in Genesis chapter 12. It goes through chapter 25. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 12, where we are this morning, really is the turning point in all of Scripture. Because up until this point, the first 11 chapters, we've seen the history of humanity. Now from chapter 12 on, we see the history of God's people. Because God's people are birthed. In Genesis chapter 12, Donald Gray Barnhouse says of Abraham, he is the greatest human character in the Bible. This was interesting. One writer I read said that uh, the fact that the nation of Israel gave greater honor to Moses could have been, humanly speaking, the reason they had so many spiritual problems. Because when they focused on Moses, what did they focus on? The law. When you focus on Abraham, what do you focus on? Faith. Hebrews 15, 6 says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as what? Righteousness. Because he believed God. He believed God. We see here that Abram's calling in these three verses involves two commands and six promises. First of all, look at his calling comes with authority. Now the Lord said to Abram, chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Derek Kidner says, The history of redemption like that of creation, begins with God speaking. I like that. God spoke creation into existence. Now as God is going to redeem his people from all humanity, God speaks to one moon-worshipping pagan. God speaks to Abram. His command, the first command, the second command is you shall be a blessing. But the first command is go forth from your country. Now, Abram had left the Ur- of the Chaldeans, he was living in Haran. But to go forth in those days was quite a challenge. You can imagine to leave somewhere to go. Abram was commanded by God, it was not a suggestion. He says, You're going to leave your familiar surroundings and you're going to go to a place that I will show you. As a matter of fact, the, the Jews who are known today many as Hebrews. The word comes from ibri, which means of a faraway place, a faraway place. So God does not suggest. Now, Abram, if you'd like a happier life, if you, you might want to try moving to Canaan. I mean, they got a lot of a lot of beautiful things over in Canaan. He doesn't suggest it. God commands go forth from your country. First thing we see when God speaks, he speaks with authority because he is the God of the universe. God's calling comes with authority. When we read the New Testament, where we are today, God's calling is most often associated with God's call of salvation through the gospel. When Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, began to preach, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, does that sound like a suggestion for a happier life? Does that sound like the best way to win friends and influence people? No, if you want to know God, repent and believe the gospel. So it's with great authority that God speaks to Abram. It's with great authority that we proclaim the gospel today because it is the word of God. Jesus, as he proclaims, he is the, is the, it is the word of a king calling rebellious subjects out of their rebellion and sin and into his kingdom. Repent and believe the gospel. God's calling comes with authority. And the call of Abram was like that. Go forth. But let me remind you, it's also, it's with authority, but it's with grace, isn't it? That's not in your outline. It ought to be because it is a gracious call. There was nothing about Abram, nothing about Abram that would warrant God's grace toward him, that God should choose him. Matter of fact, we find out Deuteron- Deuteronomy, you know, the theme of Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy is you'd have Ronomy do to you. But anyway, Deuteronomy 7 says God just loved him. He just loved him. He placed his favor on because he loved him. For some reason, that's grace. But he called him out of pagan worship and into a relationship with eternal God. That's the gospel today. God continues to call today, men and women, boys and girls, come unto me. That's the gospel call of Jesus. His calling was one of authority. His calling often involves difficulty. Think about that. Often involves difficulty. We mentioned traveling across this rough terrain. Taking all of your family, your livestock, moving at that time had to be just a hassle. Getting everything together. go, And he says, go to a land that I will show you. What if God says, get on I-20 and start driving. I'll show you where to stop. (laughs) Just get on I-20 and I'll show you where to stop. It's kind of like that. Of course, there's no I-20. But get all your family together, your livestock, and Go. God's calling often involves great difficulties. First, Abram had to leave his family, his familiar surroundings. Notice this. He said, go forth from your country. Leave your country. Go forth from your relatives, your extended family. Go forth from your father's house, your next of kin. I mean, that's a price to pay in it. I tell you, it was tough Tuesday watching little Karis at two years old drag her carrying bag through the airport and Claire, her five-year-old, right there. And John David, my heart, at eight years old, right beside here, those two. Hey, God's call can involve difficulty, can it? It often involves difficulty. But if God's, great, God's name is going to be made great in the nations, if the gospel is going to go forth across all the world to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, there's got to be a price to be paid. But let me tell you, the gospel is worth it. The gospel is worth it. Now, God doesn't call all of us to go to a foreign country, does he? No. But he calls all of us to follow him. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and what? Follow me. Now, how do we follow Christ? Well, you know, very simply, not to go in great detail, but we just say no to the world and yes to Jesus. We don't find our joy and fulfillment in what the world has to offer. We follow Jesus. We find our joy and fulfillment in Jesus, in Him. Like the rich young ruler, we don't, we don't go and sell everything we had. A guy asked me one time, I've done it. He said, no, but Jesus is Lord of my life. I would if He asked me to. That's the point of the, what Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler. Nothing can be of more importance. Jesus must be Lord of our life. And church, that always comes with great difficulty. Let me ask you this morning. What is Jesus asking you to do? What is Jesus asking you to do? The God's call to salvation means we say no to the world and yes to Jesus. God's call to service means that we're willing to give up, go to, and be with to follow Christ. And that's never, never easy. That's why we have to say His calling requires faith. Thirdly, requires faith. Look what Abraham did. Verse four. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Again, in Genesis 15, six, then he believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. See, Abram's faith is a great example of the faith that God requires from us. It's not a blind faith. You see now true. Now it is true. Abram didn't know exactly where he was going. You know that? So so it must be a blind faith. No, it's not. The reason it's not a blind faith is because Abram knew who had called him. And Abram believed that he who had called him was faithful and that his word was true. It was the Lord who called Abram. Look at the I wills in in this passage of scripture. God says, I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. I will bless those. I will curse those. See, faith is not believing that God will do the impossible. Faith is simply believing that God will do what He says He will do. And He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. We have to have faith in God's Word. We have to have faith in the Gospel. The Gospel is the power of God to save men, all men. So we must believe. It requires faith on our part too. We can believe the Word of God. This is the Word of the eternal living God, the Creator of heaven and earth. Like Abram, we can trust His Word. God says, go. God says, go. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it requires faith. Faith is the key. Again, not the amount of faith that we have, but the object of our faith. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll see miraculous things happen. So it's not this great big faith and a little bit of God. But sometimes it's a little bitty, weak, trembling, whimpering faith that, God, you know best. You know what's best for our family. You know what's best for the kingdom. And we know this is your will. Because you are a great God. And we surrender to your will. Abram believed God and took action. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when he he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Hebrews 11, 8, And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Verse 15, And indeed, if he had been thinking of that country from which he went out, he would have had opportunity to return. I like the last part, because that applies to us. Anytime we obey, anytime we go forth with the Lord, We can't be thinking about the far country we just left. He said he went out, not thinking about the country. You know, so many times we think about how Christ has saved us and brought us out of sin and out of these struggles. And yet we long for the far country. Hey, Paul says, forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. So God, in chapter 11, scattered people because they wanted to make a name Great for themselves. Now God is making his name great by gathering a people to himself through one man. Through one man. Today, God calls us, he calls us to repent and believe the gospel. Repent, turn from your sin, and believe the gospel. That's God's salvation call. God's call of service is this go and make disciples. Have you ever heard that? Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Can I ask you a personal question this morning? Where are your disciples? Where are your disciples? Have I heard the call of God? Have I responded in faith? Have I responded by trusting God's word and trusting Him and taking Him at His word? Do I know that I know Christ? Have I repented and placed my faith in Christ? And am I making disciples? Making disciples. In spite of the sacrifices required, we can trust God because he continues to remind us that I will be with you. His second command is you shall be a blessing to all the nations. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But that command is fulfilled as the first command is obeyed. Think about it. As Abraham goes forth, all the nations will be blessed. So let's look, number two, the blessing of God's calling. God's call always comes With a blessing. With a blessing. God's call often involves difficulty. God's calling always involves faith. But like Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God's calling always comes with God's blessing. Now, like Abram, uh, most of the blessings or a number of the blessings that are promised to us, we don't realize in this life. You know, the writer of Hebrews again tells us that Abram never saw his name great. Abram never saw his seed becoming a great nation, but he had God's promise. Now, we, we know that God's promise a lot to us is, is his children. And a lot of that comes our way in eternity. But let me tell you three great promises that you, or blessings that you can hang your hat on this morning. First of all, we are blessed to be God's people. We are blessed to be God's people. God promised Abram that he would make him into a great nation. He promised Abram that he would bless him. And then he promised to make Abram's name great. As I said, he didn't see the fulfillment of those promises in his lifetime. But think about it for just a minute. By his grace, God promises to bless this moon-worshipping pagan and make him into a great nation. And the scope of this great nation today goes beyond what we can even imagine. You know, first of all, we see the nation of Israel, a nation that's had a lot of trial and difficulty. But in the 40s, 1948, I believe, became a recognized nation again, a small nation. But Abraham could point to the nation of Israel and say, those are my boys. Those are my people. Yes. But as I said, the scope of Abraham's greatness goes far beyond the nation of Israel. The New Testament tells us that as believers in Christ, who is of the seed of Abraham, that Abraham has a seed, a inheritance, descendants all over the world. You and I, Father Abraham. You remember? Had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Because we, the seed of Abraham would become a great blessing to all the nations. And that seed was the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are believers in Christ, we are a part of the nation of Abraham, the people of Abraham. And his name has become great. Father Abraham. This is what the gospel does for us. God calls us. Paul said he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter said we once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We are blessed to belong to God in Christ. We are blessed to be his people we're blessed with His protection. Notice what God said that He would do for Abram. He said, those who bless you, I will bless. And the ones who curse you, I will curse. It's interesting. There are two different words for curse there. God said, the ones who revile you is the word first word for curse. I will curse. That word means condemn, condemn or judge. The ones who revile you I will condemn. I will condemn. Again, as a nation, I'm thankful that as a country, our nation has historically stood with the nation of Israel. But you know, we've been one of the few in the world that have done that. I think a lot of our position in relationship to Israel is because of this passage we're looking at this morning. Our forefathers and he, even, even into our modern times, recognize God's going to bless Israel. We need to be on her side. This tiny nation about the size of Delaware. This tiny nation. Yet we have, as a nation, pr- cho- chosen to stand alongside because God will bless those who bless Israel. But we've been one of the few. God opposes those who oppose the nation of Israel, His people. But as His people in Christ, we're blessed with His protection. Think about it. Because of our sin, the Bible says that we were all by nature children of wrath. We were enemies of God. We deserved His curse, the curse that goes with sin. We deserved His wrath, the wrath that sin demands. But because of this Jewish carpenter named Jesus who went to a cross and died on a tree, and we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then Jesus bore our wrath. Jesus bore the curse for us. And now when God looks at us, we're in Christ. We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Why? Because we're his people. And he will, the curse no longer is on us. The curse that we deserve fell upon his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are now in Christ. His righteous life and sacrificial death is now our protection from the curse of sin. Our protection. The name of Jesus. You know, Proverbs 18 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it. You, know, you think about the name of Jesus as our strong tower. We run to the name of Jesus. He is our protection from the curse that we deserve and sin demands. We're in Christ. And so He is in us. We are blessed, thirdly, with His presence. Again, notice the personal nature of Abram's call. God says, I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. God's call is to go with God. (laughs) Over in chapter 15, 1. Genesis 15, 1. Listen to this. Fear not, Abram. God says, I am your shield. Your exceeding great reward. God says to this moon-worshipping pagan, moon pagan, I am your shield. I am your reward. Church, let me remind you that the gospel is all about God. God is the gospel. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. God is the gospel. Having a relationship with God is what Christ makes possible for all of us. And we are His people. We're blessed with His presence. And as Jesus sends us out to make disciples, Matthew 28, "Go make disciples," He says, "Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth." So God has called us to Himself, given us abundant blessing. But here's the thing: we're not to keep these blessings to ourselves. And this, two things quickly will be done: the purpose of God's calling is number one, all nations will be blessed. Verse six, which is the sixth blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, think about that for just a minute. God's speaking to one moon-worshiping pagan. And he says, through you, Abram, all nations will be blessed. How could that possibly happen? How could that happen today? Again, we're talking about a nation that's the size of the state of Delaware. How could that one little people be a blessing to all the nations? Abraham's seed is to be great. (laughs) And Paul reminds us that it is through Jesus, the seed of Abraham, it's because of Jesus, the seed of Abraham, that you and I are here today. It is through Jesus, the seed of Abraham, that all the nations will be blessed. That's why Colby, and Jennifer, Bruce, and all of our folks, Charlotte, went to Haiti last week. So that the nation of Haiti can be blessed because of the name of Jesus. That's why KJ and Lynn and Ella and James are in Boroughbridge, England, so that the nation of England can be blessed. That's why Katie and David and Claire and Karis and John David are in Malawi learning to speak Chewa, so they can go to Zambia so that the people in Zambia can be blessed by coming to know God through Jesus. What a blessing our Jesus is to all the nations. When you think about it, the nation of Israel itself has probably been more of a thorn in the side to most nations, hasn't it? They've been anything but a blessing. But when you put it in the spiritual context, it makes a lot of sense. And we see God's fulfillment of this promise. Our task is to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed to every tribe and tongue. At Babel, God scattered the people to, make, to many nations. In Christ, is calling people from all nations to himself. It's the purpose of our calling. The second purpose, his name will be made great. The people of Babel said, let's make a great name for ourselves. Again, as I said at the outset, that's the philosophy of most people. It's all about me. It's all about me. Most, a lot of churches, us four and no more. You know, It's all about us. But God does not call us to sit, soak, and sour. He calls us to serve. The gospel is not all about me. It's about God calling me out of darkness into His marvelous light so that we can proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us, called us out of darkness. We're to make his name great. Through Abraham and his descendants, God's name will be made great among the nations. Revelation 19 16. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. His name will be made great through his people. His name will be made great. Through us, through us. It's not about us, church. It's about His gospel. It's about His name, His greatness. And God allows us. Now, we can't say we're moon worshiping pagans. A lot of us are worse than that. But God wants to call you into a right relationship with Himself. This morning, if you've never heard the gospel, in just a minute, we have a hymn of decision. It's a time of invitation. What does that mean? God is issuing a call to you come to Christ. Come to salvation. Come into a right relationship with the eternal God. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. That's what the hymn, the, uh, maybe you're a church member or not a church member. Come, unite with us. Maybe you've professed faith in Christ but never followed in baptism. Come, make your profession public. We invite you. We call, God calls you to come and to be a part of his church family.